Uh, Friends, pray for me today. Uh, There's a lot in the readings that I want to help you understand, Uh, but we don't have time to do it all. And so uh, if you have questions about what Jesus could possibly mean by all of these things, uh, do come to me afterwards. Uh, I'd love to chat with you about that. But we're proclaiming good news uh, here today about God's Word in our midst. I have set before you, God says through Moses, life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, holding fast to Him, for that means life to you. Friends, this is the sixth Sunday of Epiphany, and uh, we've been preaching from Isaiah, but the lectionary writers haven't given us a reading from Isaiah, so we've veered into new territory today. Uh, And next week is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and um, we'll be preaching from the Transfiguration uh, account, uh, which is the last Sunday before Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. So it always sneaks up on me every year. So FYI, February 26th, guys, Ash Wednesday, it's coming. Lent is coming. Um, And in these passages today, we have good news about God's Word. We have good news about God's Word, His speech to us, what He says to us, and how it works in our lives. Uh, And I think the irony here is that most of us as Christians have inherited a sub-Christian view of how God's Word actually comes to us and what it, how it functions in our lives. So friends, today we proclaim this good news, that God is always with us, speaking to us in ways that we can receive it, in ways that we can understand it, and He's leading us into life. His Word in our midst leads us into life. God's Word is not a puzzle to be solved. It's not a riddle to decipher. God's Word is not a set of timeless truths to be applied or a resource to be excavated. God's Word is not a list of regulations designed to control and confine us. God's Word is Jesus Christ, standing right here in our midst, speaking words of life to us right now by the Holy Spirit in ways that we can receive them. He's giving guidance and comfort, leading us into new life, growing a new creation. Friends, if this is true, Where do you need to open up to God's life-giving Word today? A book I read a little while back, I've got a soft spot in my heart for um, children's sci-fi and fantasy. And so uh, I oftentimes give uh, connecting stories from uh, the Harry Potter series. We're not going to be doing that uh, today. Um, Sorry to disappoint if that's what you guys have come to expect from me. Um, But it's another uh, another children's story. It's a post-apocalyptic story. Uh, children's science fiction story called City of Ember, The City of Ember. Anybody ever read this? Yes? Okay. So uh, I really loved the book. Do not go see the movie, by the way. It's awful. Yeah, don't, just trust me, do not see the movie. Um, So it's about an underground city called Ember that was designed and created by this coalition of architects, scientists, and doctors known as the Builders, and they, they construct this city to help people survive an impending disaster. It's not really said what the disaster is, but something is going to be happening, they are afraid, and humanity is at stake, and so they're going to build this city underground, and it's supposed to last for 200 years. They've given supplies and resources and instructions for this thing to last 200 years, and then afterwards, the intent is that they would leave the underground city and go above ground. So the original inhabitants of this, city, of, of this city, though, are sworn to secrecy. And so the children who grow up in this city don't know any other world. They don't know that there is such a thing as anything outside of Ember. And so uh, the builders have given the first mayor of the city a locked box, and it's programmed to 
open up after 200 years, and it gives instructions for leaving the city. And this locked box is handed down from mayor to mayor uh, over the 200 years, and that's what it, it's intended to be. The mayor is sworn to secrecy, and he's given this box, and he's supposed to hand it to the next mayor. After 200 years, everybody gets to leave. Um, but this passage continues until the seventh mayor, who is, has, a, has a deadly disease, and he's searching for a cure, and he thinks that it might be in this box, and so he tries to open the box, but he damages it, and then dies before he's able to tell the next mayor about the box. And so now the city of Ember is doomed because there are instructions inside of a box that nobody knows about, and nobody knows that there is any other world besides Ember. So he dies before he can do that, pass it on to the next Person. The story takes place 241 years after Ember is established as a city, and the city's supplies are in danger of exhaustion, its hydroelectric generator is in decay, uh, the two main characters, Lina Mayfleet and Dune Harrow, are young people just beginning their jobs in Ember, and they happen upon the instructions. They happen upon this box, which has been opened up, and, uh, but the instructions are, are all, um, uh, they're, they're, they're all, uh, I think a baby used them as a teething thing. And so the instructions are like, they're, they're not clear. They're, they're confusing. They have to interpret what's going on in these instructions. And that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, the, that's the story, is they try to figure out what this means. They're convinced that they've found something important, and they attempt to painstakingly reconstruct these instructions that were left by the builders, knowing that time is running out, knowing that supplies are running low. Their salvation depends on their ability to decipher these instructions and escape and, or you know, do whatever it is that they think is going to, is to bring them salvation. salvation. So I won't spoil the end in case you want to read it. Again, do not see the movie, okay? Read the book. Uh, but I think that uh, you can go ahead and see the Harry Potter movies. They're wonderful. But this is a terrible movie, so don't see it. Um, but I think that uh, many of us, uh, I, I tell this story because I think many of us think about God's word in this way. We think about it as a set of instructions that he gave to us many, many years ago. For our own good, yes, you know, we're trying to get salvation here. But it's kind of up to us to like comb through it and figure out what he means and what he's trying to say. And if we follow the instructions to the T, then maybe we'll have a chance of getting out of our doomed situation. Our salvation depends on our ability to decipher it, to follow the instructions. We, you know, we believe God certainly does want us to escape the underground city, but God isn't really here to guide us out of the city. That's why he's left us some instructions. So some of us are inclined to follow these instructions. We're rule followers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, just give me the instructions. That'll be fine. I'll just follow the instructions. Others of us are like, those instructions are probably not the right thing to do anyway, so I'm going to ditch those instructions and, and try to find my own way out of Ember. Does that make sense? I think there's kind of two, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's two kinds of people here. So, but, what, but what both of those uh, responses, I think, share in common is a hidden belief that, number one, God's word is about regulations. It's about instructions. It's about follow the rules and you'll have life. Or we think maybe it's follow the rules so I can control you. Yeah? And so that causes us to either say, what are the rules? I want to follow them so I can have life. Or it causes us to say, forget the rules, that's oppression, I'm out of here. But friends, God hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, God is always with us, he's always speaking to us. He's always speaking to us in ways that we can receive it. He's leading us into life. God's word is not a puzzle to be solved. It's not a locked box with instructions for our salvation. 
It's, it's not a set of timeless truths to be applied. It's not a resource to be excavated. It's not a list of regulations that's designed to oppress us and control us. God's word is Jesus Christ, friends, standing in our midst, speaking words of life to us right now by the Holy Spirit through Scripture in ways that we can receive them, giving guidance and comfort. He's leading us into life. He's growing a new creation. Friends, where do you need to open yourself up to God's life-giving word today? In our text this morning, uh, I want to quickly draw your attention to just two aspects of God's word that shows up in these texts. Again, there's a million things we could teach on for days in these texts. But in the reading from Deuteronomy, God is renewing his covenant with Israel before they enter into the promised land. The story is being retold, the the law code that God has given them. um, And I'll say this later, but probably because that's what they expected to get from a God, a law code. And so God enters into that situation and says, okay, I'll give you a law code. I'll give you something that you can hear. I'll give you something that you can understand that leads you into life. And so often rulers create regulations in order to control people, but notice what God says about why he is giving them these instructions, this story that gives them their identity as the people of God. He says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you may live and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you. I think there's two ways of hearing this. One is to think that God has set up some arbitrary rules and a system of rewards and punishments to test us. Are you going to obey my instructions? If not, I'm going to punish you. If you do obey them, then I'm going to reward you. But that's not what the law is doing here. The law is wisdom given to the people of Israel to say, this is the natural result of your choices is life or death. Stay connected to me, cling to me, the Lord says, and you'll have life because I am the source of life. Disconnect yourself from me, and the inevitable result is death. So he's more like a doctor telling us to eat right and exercise regularly so you don't have a heart attack than he is a despot trying to control us with rules. The law is about life. God's word is about life. God's not trying to control his people or oppress them. He's leading them into life. And so that's just the first aspect. God's word is given to us out of the character of God's heart, which is love. He's trying to lead us into life. His speech toward us is birthed out of love. He loves us. He's trying to lead us into life. He doesn't want to control us. He has no desire to do that. He's leading us into life. And then the second aspect is what, something that we get from Matthew's gospel, I think. Um, because again, if God is leading us into life, well, let's just figure out what the instructions are and then we'll have life, right? Not so fast. Because here's where our reading from Matthew's gospel helps us. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, where Matthew is casting Jesus as the new Moses. He's on a mountain, and he's speaking the words of life to the people of God. And so he's, Matthew is clearly sort of depicting Jesus as the new Moses here. He's delivering God's word to God's people. And Jesus says over and over in the passage that we read, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what Jesus is doing, uh, what, what is Jesus doing here with these old words that were given and with the new word that he gives? There's a lot of theories about this, and I think there's, there's a couple, at least a couple ways that we think about it. Perhaps it seems to us that Jesus is canceling the law. There's some famous preachers who actually preach this, by the way, that Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, law, 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 but I say to you, forget all that stuff. You guys don't need to live by law. What's important is if you're sincere. That's what's important. That's what he's saying. 
So one thing, one temptation that I think is we think that Jesus is canceling the law, but Jesus himself, I think, anticipates this. An earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I've not come to abolish the law. The law remains. It's God's word to God's people. What I've come to do is fulfill the law. So Jesus isn't canceling the law here. He's fulfilling it. And what does that mean? And here's where I think we get to the other temptation. Perhaps it seems to us in these passages that Jesus is, in fact, doubling down on the law. You thought it was hard to not commit adultery? Well, now you can't even lust a little bit. You thought it was hard not to murder people? Well, anger is just as bad. Is that how you guys hear that? That's how I used to hear it for a long time. There's, there's theology, there's Bible that says this is what Jesus is doing. Like he's, he's trying to double down on these rules so that we'll despair of our good works and cry out for mercy. And then Jesus will say, okay, you can have some mercy. See, aren't you grateful that you don't have to follow all those rules? This is the, literally the theology. But guys, isn't that psychotic? I mean, imagine doing this to your children, right? Like, you know, you set your three-year-old in the middle of the room and you're like, all right, listen, before I get back from work, you need to rebuild the deck, you need to paint the house, and you need to make dinner. And it better be done by the time I get back. And the three-year-old start, you just collapses and says, Dad, I can't do it. And you're like, good. Now you know you can't do it. Aren't you glad that you don't have to do it? It doesn't make any sense. It's psychotic. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Anyway. So Jesus is not doing this. Jesus is not psychotic. What Jesus is doing, what he said, he was, it's good news. Jesus is not psychotic. It really is. You know, one of, the, one of the simplest and most profound things I ever heard Dallas Willard say was, never think anything bad about God. Never think anything bad about God. Like if you read something in the Bible and you think, ooh, that, that seems like a bad thing. Don't think it about God. Assume that something else is going on that you don't really realize because God is good. It's deeply harmful to our souls to think bad things about God and then try to come to church and worship him. It doesn't work if we don't think he's good. It harms us. So Jesus is fulfilling the law, and here's what's happening. As the embodied word of God, Jesus is giving his, the people of his day a timely word, not a timeless truth, a timely word to confront and correct the ways that they had misheard his word and misused his word. They had taken God's life-giving word and twisted it into an instrument of oppression. And as the living word of God, Jesus is there to reinterpret the law, to say, no, you can't do that with God's word. I'm giving you the authoritative version of God's word. And God keeps doing this. That's the second aspect here, is that God continually speaks to us in ways that we can understand. In ways, so it, he, he's leading us into life, and he's speaking to us. He's always condescending to our situation and speaking to us in ways that we can receive it. There's a couple examples here that I can't get into, but what Jesus speaks about divorce, for example. He's not laying down a new timeless truth about divorce. He's protecting the powerless in that situation. Women who are under the thumb of oppressive men who are using a line from Moses to say, I can send you away with just a certificate if you don't do what I say. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that with God's word. Ironically, we've turned that into a rule now and used it, ironically, to oppress women again, to tell them, hey, unless your husband's unfaithful, you can't leave. I'm sorry about the abuse, though. 
Does that make sense? That's not how God's word is meant to function. He always speaks to us in ways that we can receive and understand. And this work continues. God, God's word needs to keep being spoken and heard concretely, not abstractly, personally, not timelessly. God hasn't left us with a box of instructions that we have to figure out. He's come to us in Christ and now abides with us through the Holy Spirit. God is always with us. He's always speaking to us in ways that lead us into life, in ways that we can understand. God's Word is not a puzzle to be solved. It's not a riddle that we have to decipher. God's Word is not a set of timeless truths to be applied. It's not a resource to be excavated. God's Word is not a list of regulations designed to control and oppress us. God's Word is Jesus Christ. He's standing in our midst. And he's speaking words of life to us today through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture. Words that don't contradict, but words that fulfill. Words that help us understand the ways that we have misheard his word. The ways that we've misunderstood his character. The ways that we have misused him, his word. Twisting it into an instrument of oppression. He comes to bring freedom and he comes to bring life. He's bringing guidance and comfort, and he's leading us into new life. He's growing a new creation in our midst by speaking words of life, by speaking good news. Where do you need to open yourself up to God's life-giving word today? Where is it for you? Maybe there's something in your life that it never occurred to you to ask God about. Maybe you don't think it's important enough for him. It's not a big enough deal to bother God about. Or maybe you think that God's going to shame you if you ask him about it because he'll tell you, well, did you follow the instructions? Maybe you feel like it's your fault that you're in this mess that you're in. And so I can't really bother God about it because I need to get out of the mess before I can ask him for help. Or maybe there's something you don't really want to talk to God about. Maybe it's a pet habit that you're afraid he's going to tell you to stop. Something you don't want to give up. Perhaps God is, you're afraid that God is just going to lay down a new rule for you to follow. Or perhaps you're afraid he won't give you a new rule <laughs> to follow. Then where would I be? For me, <laughs> can I get a witness? Yeah. Shoot, he's not going to give me a rule. No, friends, he's going to give us good news. That's what he gives us. He gives us the gospel. He gives us good news. For me, uh, I'm realizing one area of my life that I am... I have, not, I have not in the past allowed him access to, um, just because I didn't really think about it, is <laughs> my task list, the, the, the list of things. I wake up, guys, and I think, what needs to get done? I'm, I'm you know, yeah, can I get a witness? Yeah, here we go. What do, we, what do I need to do today? And I just assume that these are good things to do, because I'm a pastor, and I also lead a, a, a coaching organization that trains Christian leaders, so these are all like Jesus things, Right? <laughs> So I wake up and I'm like, I got to get the Jesus stuff done. I don't need to talk to God about that. He's, he's probably affirmative. He's like, go, go do the Jesus stuff. Go for it, you know. Um, you know, I could quote Bible verses about how that's God's word for me. So um, it's my calling in life, you know, or whatever. I could, I could say these things. But I'm learning in those situations that God actually does want to speak to me. Because my relationship to my to-do list is part of the problem. It's not that they're bad things. It's... What's my relationship to it? I'm realizing that I, I feel compelled to do this. This interrupts other kinds of things that need to happen for me. And so I am learning to just settle. 
and allow, breathe a couple times and allow God to speak to me some good news about my task list and my responsibilities. What would it look like for you today? Where is it for you? Where do you need to trust God to speak words of life to you? Where do you need to trust that he deeply cares about your whole life and that he's here to speak in ways that you can hear and receive? That God's word to us will lead us into life. We're going to pray together and then come to the table together as a way of responding to this good news. That Jesus Christ is standing in our midst, friends. He is the living word of God, speaking words of life to us right now by the Holy Spirit. Open up. Receive them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.